0: feel like with the presence of God here, the Word of God should take precedent, and so we're going to move quickly to the Word of God. If you're uh, looking for a scripture uh, that uh, brings the inspiration of today's message, it's going to be Isaiah 6, 1 through 5, and then also Luke chapter 2, uh, 6 through 7, and we've been in the middle of a series for this holiday season Uh, that I have titled The King, and uh, we've just been celebrating Jesus Christ in this sermon series, and so last Sunday, the title of the message was The King, and the subtitle was The Good Name, and uh, today, the title is The King, His Perfection. And really, what I want to do today in continuing our focus on Jesus Christ uh, is to, for us to walk away and understand the significance of the birth of Jesus Christ. Not only in the reality of making salvation from sin possible, but in the significance of a royal, majestic, righteous, holy, and perfect king coming lowly to be born, to fully understand that it was the creator begotten into creation. It was the king becoming the servant. It was the lion being brought as a lamb for the slaughter. It was the beginning and the end made uh, the hinge that all of time hangs upon. And so we need to understand that we have a perfect God. And when we use the term, our God is holy, we would say our our God is a holy God. It is a declaration of his status in eternity. Because to be holy is to be worthy of complete devotion as one who is perfect in goodness and who is righteous in his righteousness. He is perfect in all of those things. And so when we say that our God is holy, or when scripture says he is holy, what we are saying is that he is perfect. Everything that he does is perfect. All of his character is perfect. His existence is perfect. Everything about him is perfect. His perfect holiness or his complete perfection of attributes such as power and goodness is a humbling thing if we step back and we consider this God of ours. It should even be to the point that it is terrifying to people to consider how perfect He is and how far removed from Him we truly are. He is perfect. There's no flaw in Him. There's no mistake in anything that He's done. He is perfect. Isaiah said it like this in chapter 6 of Isaiah. He said, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. These are angels. Isaiah was terrified at what he saw. And so he said to himself, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I don't know if it ever dawned on Isaiah quite how holy God was. But when he saw this picture and saw this vision of heaven, Of the angels covering themselves and hiding themselves so that they would not see what was the perfect picture of holiness. And covering their faces, covering their feet. And then one after another crying back and forth across the vaults of heaven to one another and saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Holy, holy, holy to the volume that it shook the hinges on the doors of heaven. This is what he saw and it terrified him to where he said, Woe is me. I realize now just how low that I am. I realize that I'm unclean. I realize that I come from a people of unclean lips. I recognize the distance that there is between me and God. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There's wisdom in fearing and understanding just how holy and perfect God is. That he sees these angels. Now how many of us would think angels, angelic beings, seraphim in heaven, you think you'd get kind of common, just to say, well, there's God. But these seraphim covered their faces so that they could not see the sight of his holiness. And the only thing they were capable of saying in his presence was holy, 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 holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. I'm telling you, that is a holy God. That is a perfect God. God that when we enter into his presence at the end of time all we're going to do is we're going to throw down crowns that we may have earned jewels that may have been encrusted in those crowns of heavenly uh, riches and we're going to toss them aside and just fall and just like those angels will shield our face and say holy 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 is the Lord of hosts the earth is full of his glory and if you look at that statement that statement is made whenever Isaiah sees the angels in heaven they're doing that same thing and when John gets a picture of his revelation at the last book he sees angels doing the same thing they have their faces covered their feet covered and they're flying and they say holy 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 in this great triumphant voice it's the same picture because those angels right now as we are gathered together they're in the presence of the almighty in a perfect holy God, and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. So in a way, they're saying, perfect, 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 perfect. He is perfect. And here's the thing about his perfection, about his holiness. It impacts even the things that he touches. And anything that would come in contact with him, it perfects and it it overflows onto it. Consider the tabernacle. All of the things of the tabernacle had to be made holy. And what that means is it doesn't mean that they were perfected. They were perfected in God's design. But what it means is that they were separated, set apart from other things, and they were made holy unto God. The altar, they were instructed to take the altar and for seven days make atonement for the altar and then every offering that was to be offered had to be holy. It had to be perfect. The table of showbread, it was taken and the golden lampstand, the altar of incense, all of those things, the Lord said, you shall consecrate them and whatever touches them must be holy. It has to be perfect. The priest, he had to be prepared to go into the presence of God. If he was not prepared, if he had not sanctified himself and made atonement and made preparation, going into the presence of this holy God, the holiness of God would kill him and consume him. He would die. Leviticus two seventeen through twenty three, uh, the Lord goes on a little bit further, and he says that they, the descendants of Aaron, the descendants in the priesthood, the succeeding generations, if any of them have a defect, they may approach to offer the bread of his God. For any man who has a defect shall not approach. A man blind or lame, who has a marred face or any limb too long, a man who has a broken foot or broken hand, he's a hunchback or a dwarf, or a man who has a defect in his eye, or eczema, or, or a scab, or he's a eunuch. No man of the descendants of Aaron the priest who has a defect shall come near to offer the offerings made by fire to the Lord. He goes on, he says, he has a defect, he shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He, might, he can eat of the bread. He can partake of what the Levites partake in. He can be there with the priest, but he's not to get close to the holy place. The most holy and the holy only, he shall go near the veil. Don't approach the veil. Don't come to the altar. Don't get close because the holiness, the perfection of God will consume him because he is has a defect. priest had to be as prepared as he could be to go just one time we're talking about just one time a year into that holy place and he had to be as prepared as he possibly could be so he needed to send it with any defect any scar any scab any imperfection he could not even approach the veil priest when he would return out from from working before the Lord and he was going to sanctify the people he had to remove the holy garments he had to take off the the holy things that had been in the presence of God before returning to the people why it could possibly be because the holiness of God And the judgment, the perfect judgment of God, would extend itself to consuming the people. He had to remove all of the vestitures of the things that he had worn into the presence of God, it extended to offerings and sacrifice. They had to be without blemish. They had to be perfect. Leviticus 22, 19 through 21, you shall offer on your own free will a male without blemish from the cattle, from the sheep, or from the goats. Whatever has a defect, you shall not offer, for it shall not be acceptable on your behalf. And whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow, or a free will offering from the cattle or the sheep, it must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. It had to be perfect. It could not have a scar. It could not be blemished. It had to be as close to holy as it could possibly be already with no defect in it. That's a holy God that He demands perfection. And it doesn't just stop there. He was so holy. He is so holy. He is so perfect that the ground that He would place His foot upon becomes holy. In talking to Moses in Exodus 3 and 5 He said, don't Come near. Do not draw near to this place. Take off your sandals, off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. The things he touches becomes holy. That is a holy, perfect God. Moses, after being in the presence of God, his face would shine with the glory of God so that it terrified the people. He had to wear a veil to conceal his face because people were terrified at the glory of God that just reflected off of a man who had been in the presence of the Almighty. That is a perfect God. He is perfect. And I want us to understand as much as we can to understand how perfect He is, how holy He is, how righteous He is. There is no blemish in Him, there is no mistake in Him. Nothing He has ever done has been flawed. It's perfect. So, why would this kind of perfect God choose? come into such a sinful world he's so perfect and he's so holy why would he choose And we know the short answer it's to save us from our sins and he was doing the work of redemption but have you ever considered how he came how he chose to come because he could have chosen to come in all of his fine men, in all of his arraign, beautiful royal priesthood robes and his fine arraignment. He could have come any way that he wanted to. He could have come in the most magnificent way possible. But when he looked at the landscape of earth, he said, I'm going to go to Bethlehem this small, insignificant, unimportant place, Bethlehem, six miles south of Jerusalem, just a speck on the map. At that time, probably about a 1,000 people lived there, a small town. Micah 5 and 2 gives us the prophecy, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from of old, from everlasting. He could have chosen anywhere, but he chooses Bethlehem. Bethlehem simply means the, 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 the house of the Lord or the, the breadbasket of the Lord. The house of bread of the Lord. He could have chosen anywhere, but he chooses there. Luke two, six through seven, so it was that while we while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. We're talking about God manifesting the flesh. He could have chose a different time. He could have chose a place where a room would be available. He could have chose a season when everyone would not be in Bethlehem. Okay, Lord, if you want to go to Bethlehem, why not choose a time whenever there's plenty of rooms in the inn? But he chose this day. He could have sent an angel beforehand. He's done it before. He sent an angel to to Mary, he sent an angel to Joseph. He could have sent an angel to the innkeeper and said, hey, guess who's coming tonight? You better hold out a room. Better make sure there's a spot available because you're about to have the guest everybody wants. But he did not do that. He came exactly where he wanted to, when he wanted to. In the fashion that he wanted to. The wise men came from the east searching for him. And where did they go? They went to the palace. Why? Because where would you find a king? In a palace. But this king, as perfect and holy as he is, he's not found in the palace. Instead, he chooses the insignificant small town of Bethlehem where there is no space available for him. And so he ends up in a manger which is just a feeding trough for animals. And he's there in the feed trough of animals with the aroma of manure around him, the stench of animals that live and make that their home. A filthy place, a mess, and perfection came into that mess. Perfection chose to be born into that insignificant small town of imperfection. That's what he chose. You would think that he would choose something else. That he would choose a perfect place, an inhabitation. He would set it up where he would go right into the palace. But that's not what he chose. Because what you and I think is a mess in our life that is too small, too insignificant for such a holy, perfect God. It's in that mess. It's in that insignificant thing. It's in that small thing that is important to you, but to no one else. God shows up. And in that one moment when He shows up, what is probably the filthiest, messiest, worst thing can all of a sudden become holy. Because in the moment that He was born, in the very moment that they took that baby, crying, and laid Him in His mother's arms, what could have been the filthiest manger animal stall in Bethlehem and possibly any place on the earth for any birth to take place it became the holiest place on earth because where he came it became holy ground and I'm telling someone today you don't need your mess cleaned you don't need your life. We always think if, if if I can get this in the right place, if if I can have this become perfect, and you know I'm waiting on everything to line up. You don't need your life made perfect by your own hand. You don't need your life to be more significant than you feel like it is. You don't need your mess and your situation to be more significant to get God's attention. He just needs a place where he can arrive consider that this perfect holy without blemish why would he choose Bethlehem why would he choose a manger why would he choose a mess because he came to take messes make them holy can I give you a clue my life is still a mess but I'm so thankful that I've got God in my mess I'm so thankful that whenever I mess up, whenever I find myself in situations outside of my control, whenever I find myself in situations where I created the situation, God's in my mess. And if I surrender the mess to Him, He can make it holy. If you'll stand with me, God His perfection is untouched by anything the angels right now have their hands covering their faces and they're crying holy Perfect God is saying I want to put my spirit in your life. I want to put my spirit in your situation. I want to put my spirit into your mess. I want to put my spirit into your circumstance. I want to put my spirit into your family. I want to put my spirit into your workplace. I want to put my spirit because I came to take all of those messes Can we worship the Lord together? God, I thank you. God, I thank you for your spirit, Lord. I thank you that whenever you were perfect and you were holy, you looked and you said, I can save them. I can save Lane Coon. I can change his life. I can do something with that mess. God, even now you're working to sanctify and to perfect. And I thank you, God. I thank you, God. Maybe today is the day you need to ask God to come into your mess. We don't have to complicate it. All we have to do is say, God, you already see it. He knew where he was going in Bethlehem. He knew the manger he was going to end up in. He was not caught off guard. It's not like he closed his eyes for a minute and said, well, we'll just see what happens. He knew. And you just say, God, you see my mess. You see my life. You see what you're coming into. But I need you. I need a touch of your holiness I need a touch of your perfection I need a touch of your spirit God today in Jesus name in Jesus name my wife's going to begin to sing and I wonder if church family if we could gather around the front let's create an atmosphere an opportunity for God to minister into someone's life to speak deeply to them, to move them. Maybe you've got a situation you want to bring. You just want to say, God, I'm committing this into your hand. I'm delivering this to you. I'm going to surrender. Maybe you just need to come and have your faith bolstered. Say, God, help my unbelief. Help me to believe that you would do exactly what you said you would do. Maybe you've got some sin in your life and you need to repent. And you want to bring it, lay it on the altar before God. Say, God, forgive me. Forgive me. Maybe you want to commit your life to Him or maybe, maybe you need to come seeking the gift of the Holy Spirit, speaking in another language. God can give that to you today. He's no respecter of persons. He wants to put His Spirit in every one of our hearts and our lives in the name of Jesus Christ. He wants to do a work for you right where you're at. This is a day of miracles. This is a day of signs and wonders.